0: You're listening to Change the World, the podcast for Jewish nonprofit leaders. I'm your host, Sylvia Cohn. Hello, and thank you for joining me on today's episode of the Change the World podcast. Today, I am fortunate enough to be sitting with Rabbi Hur, who is the Director of Outreach for Renewal, an incredible organization that I'm sure heard about, but I'm going to let Rabbi Stern introduce himself and tell us a little about Renewal as well. So Rabbi Stern, first of all, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure and an honor to be here. Uh, so yeah, as you mentioned, I'm the Director of Outreach at Renewal. Renewal is an organization that's been around now for uh, close to 17 years, and uh, thank God we've been involved in well over 900 life-saving transplants. It's been an incredible journey. Uh, So between that, I have uh, my other job is that I'm the assistant rabbi of the Young Israel of Staten Island. Uh, So between both of those jobs, uh, I try and stay out of trouble.
0: (laughs) Sounds like you're a pretty busy guy. So tell me, I'm very interested to know, you know, when people find themselves working in the nonprofit sector, like where did that come from? Is it something you always knew you were going to do or tell us that story?
1: So when I was in college, I went to uh, Lander College, and I was actually a finance major. Um, I have a passion for Wall Street, stock market, that kind of stuff. And I thought that that was gonna be my career. Uh, but as I started to develop a little bit more, I came to the, the idea, and not, not to take away from people who are in the for-profit sector, but the nonprofit sector just had a real calling for me because it was the idea to be able to spend my time and my career uh, helping people, doing good. And so I transitioned from the finance world into the nonprofit. I'd always been involved in in nonprofits, whether it was uh, just in my local shul as a, uh, a youth counselor, and then running a day camp, and all those kind of uh, typical things that uh, could be done in a local community. And uh, started to work uh, towards the nonprofit world, and the job at Renewal came about. And I was fascinated by what they uh, what they do. And I said, "You guys, uh, people are donating what?" You guys, do what I said. This is unbelievable. I wanted to be a part of it, and uh, thank God I've been there eight and a half years now, and it's been an amazing journey.
0: So I'm sure many listeners know, but just in case there isn't, can you tell us a bit about Renewal?
1: Sure. So Renewal helps to match kidney donors with potential kidney recipients. Uh, we're based in the in the Jewish community, and that's really where our, our level of expertise is in knowing how to potentially market things in the Jewish community and and how to help people in the uh, the best kind of way and in the most efficient way. So what we do is we run drives and awareness events for individuals that need kidneys in their communities, educating their community about kidney donation. And then when a potential donor comes forward, we're very good at getting that donor through the finish line and really holding the hand of that donor every step of the way. And what we have found over the years is that that really makes the difference between somebody donating their kidney and not donating their kidney. And that's what we're all about is to be able to facilitate more and more transplants.
0: Wow, absolutely incredible. So you're the director of Outreach. What what does that mean?
1: So my job specifically is to do the educational component of uh, of what Renewal does. So, for example, last night I was in uh, the wonderful community of West Hempstead in the Young Israel of West Hempstead, and we did a program for somebody in the community that's in need of a kidney. We had well over 200 people that came out to learn about kidney donation, and uh, well over 100 people that got tested right there on the spot to see if they could be a match. And that's really what I do, is to go community by community, and educate people about kidney donation. What are the the nuts and bolts of it? What does it mean to be a kidney donor? And then we do the testing. It's a simple, a cheek swab. And uh, we do the testing right there on the spot. We send that into a lab, it gives us results. And that's how we're able to facilitate. So I traveled the country going from community to community doing this educational component.
0: So am I understanding correctly a big component of outreach is education? Is that the
1: primary piece of it? Absolutely. The job that I have is, uh, in many ways, it's a very easy job because I'm not raising money and I'm not raising kidneys for that matter. All I have to do is just simply educate. And what I have found, what we have found, is that people just come forward. It's an amazing, amazing thing that there's so many people out there that would donate their kidney if they only knew something about it. They just don't know what it is. And by simply coming out there and talking about it, I don't have to guilt anybody into doing it. I don't sell it. We we believe very much in a zero-pressure approach. So we're not trying to sell it. What we're simply doing is educating and opening those doors. And thank God the communities that we've been in have rushed right through to be able to, to help somebody else.
0: So is there a unique approach to the way that you handle outreach for your organization as opposed to the way you think outreach is handled in
1: general? Yeah, my impression is that, uh, unfortunately, a lot of organizations tend to focus on media, on national kind of headlines and sensations. And those do have a place and they do have a role. But we have found that there is absolutely no replacement for the boots on the ground, grassroots effort. And so literally just going into a community and talking about it cannot be replaced by anything. Um, there was a uh, gentleman who took out a, a billboard in Times Square a couple years ago. Somebody had uh, donated it for this person, and uh, I don't know how many millions of dollars it, it cost. The billboard was up for thirty days, for one month, and that person, at least they they didn't come through renewal. So I don't know their case specifically, but from what I understand, they didn't get a kidney from that billboard. Wow! And so all the money that they spent on it, and it didn't lead to a transplant. Whereas what we do is just it's it's not. It doesn't get the uh, the flashy news articles or anything like that, but who cares? We want to find that person, the kidney. We want to do the education. And so nothing replaces just grinding it out and going community by community and talking about it. Uh, the more people you meet, uh, it's it's an incredible thing.
0: Interesting. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but I'm curious because you know that I'm from a marketing background. I'm curious if you think that because I, I completely agree with what you're saying, and that there's nothing that can replace the ground up that brings the cause to a person's heart. But is there? Do you think there is a place for that top down media marketing approach? And when do you think that that's a
1: there, there very much is a place for marketing in every world and especially in the nonprofit world, but it has to be focused and it has to be targeted. It has to be done in a way that there's a specific objective that needs to be achieved and then finding the right marketing company that will help you to achieve that specific objective. So for example, we were in uh, Los Angeles uh, about two months ago for a big, massive drive. And when I say massive, we were in over 50 shuls wow. uh, on one Shabbos. Now, it doesn't mean that one of our speakers we had some of the shuls was just the Ruv giving an announcement about it. But we personally, the renewal team was in about 16 different shuls speaking over Shabbos. And then most Shabbos, Saturday night, we did a massive program where we had over 300 people that came out and we did another one Sunday night. We did a lot, but there was a lot of advertising that went into that. And so but the advertising was very focused. We had it in specific places that we thought that the community we were trying to reach was going to see it. So for example, in that community, and we trusted the people on the ground, and that's something I think that's very important also, is to know what you don't know. And so I don't know Los Angeles. I know the communities here in New York somewhat, some better than others, but Los Angeles was very new territory for us. And so we trusted the people that we got to know, and that took a while to build up that trust and to get to know people. And one of the suggestions that they had was, hey, a lot of people get uh, some of the national magazines uh, that they get them delivered. And the provider over there, the publisher over there, will put your ad into that packet that goes to every home. And you can even target it because we did two different programs in two different communities. You can have one flyer going to this community, one flyer going to that community. Of course, it costs money, but money that's, that's invested in a smart way can pay huge dividends. And it did. It brought out the, the right kind of people and a lot of people to this event.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Why do you think it is that so many nonprofits either get this wrong in terms of understanding that that's the approach that makes the most sense or maybe they get it but they find it hard to execute?
1: It's a great question and I don't know that I have the uh, the best answer for it, but I think a lot of nonprofits are trained in a nonprofit mindset and I do think that there's a little bit of a problem there. One of the things that I learned I was going for a graduate degree in uh, public administration, and I remember I had a professor there, a communications professor, and he said something that really resonated with me. He said, why is it that nonprofits act like nonprofits? Why don't they act like for-profits? They just happen to be doing a noble purpose and a nonprofit idea. And it was so true. The idea was that in the for-profit world, you wouldn't move, you wouldn't do anything without calculating, is this gonna make sense? Is this gonna work? And for some reason in the nonprofit world, we fall back on, well, I'm doing good, I'm doing, and, and we are. But we could do so much more if we can calculate the data and if we can figure things out and and organize ourselves in a way that really focuses that in the for-profit world, we would get a sign off by the CEO saying, okay, that's a worthwhile investment, let's do it. Why in the nonprofit world are we not doing a similar, are we not having a similar mindset where we're collecting data and figuring out what works? And there's trial and error, of course, there's mistakes. But, and we learn from those mistakes tremendously. But we've got to stop thinking of ourselves as a just a nonprofit. And therefore, my ideology is different. Start thinking of ourselves as for-profit minded, but we're doing a noble good.
0: Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think the key word that you said there was investment. The impression I get is that nonprofits are so afraid to make any decision that doesn't result in an immediate impact to show a donor or someone like, look what we did tomorrow. And the idea of investing in something that's not going to pay off for months or years, where in the for-profit world, that's normal. I mean, there are big companies that took a decade to be profitable or whatever, and everyone accepts that. But for nonprofits, that's a really, really scary thing.
1: And that's something that I'm very fortunate at Renewal, because uh, when I first got here, I was a little bit of that mindset that... uh, unless I could really prove that what I'm about to suggest is going to really pay off, I was hesitant to suggest it. And one of my bosses said, hey, if you have an idea, go for it. If you think you've done your research, you think it makes sense, don't worry about the results. And we'll invest in it if you think that that's something that's worthwhile. And there have been, there've been flops. There have been things that we've tried that didn't work. And it does cost money. But in the long run, we've gained so much because we've had that freedom to be able to say, listen, think it through, get some extra or expert opinions on the matter. But if at the end of the day, you're convinced that this is a good path to go forward, then go for it. You've got our blessing. And that's been something I've been so fortunate to have here at Renewal.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. If there's no risk, there's no potential for a higher reward. It's just more of the same. There's no potential for innovation, which is a huge problem. If you're approaching the problem the same way year after year, that, that becomes a huge problem as well. So I really respect that. Um, and I think that your methodology just makes so much sense and so many organizations could learn for it. But I'm sure you're, you know, what you're asking of people is not a small ask. So I'm, I'm sure you've hit some challenges around the road of just I'd be curious to hear about that going into communities and trying to get people involved. Have you faced anything? And if so, how, can you tell us about what, you're, what you've tried?
1: So when we go into communities, it's, as I said before, we're not trying to sell it. And therefore, I'm in a very comfortable position because some people will come over and say, you know, this is not the right thing for me. I don't want to do this. And I say, nobody's asking you to do it. Nobody is guilting you into doing this. If you are hesitant about donating your kidney, don't. It's not something that you have to do. And so because of that, it makes it so much easier that I don't have to convince you of anything. It has to be genuinely the right thing for you, for your family. But of course there are challenges that come about. And I think one of the biggest challenges is not getting frustrated. So for example, I mentioned that last night we did that program in West Hampstead. Over 200 people, over 100 people got tested. That is a, a home run of a program. It's an amazing program but i've also had a lot of programs that have been disasters and when i say disasters i mean like maybe 10 people that showed up and you put in all this work and so we've done programs where there've been hundreds and hundreds of people and we've done programs where there've been 10 15 20 people and it's it's hard to not get frustrated when you go to the, when you show up at an event and here you put in that time and effort and nobody's there and it's a, you feel like it's a waste of time to be there. Now, it's true that even from 10, 15, 20 people, you can still find that one kidney donor. It's true, and it does happen. There have been some of those kind of events, but a lot of them it doesn't. And you you start to reflect and say, did I just waste my time? And it's easy to get frustrated and to get down and say, you know what, next time, I don't, I'm not gonna put in the work, why bother? They're not gonna show up. But of course, if you do that, you're not gonna get the very successful programs. So a big challenge is to make sure to, not get too low from the lows and also not to get too high from the highs, to know that there's a balance and to just keep plugging away and just, I'm doing my part. I'm doing my effort. Certainly as a uh, uh, as a rabbi, I certainly believe that it, it's in God's hands. I put forth my effort. I'll let him take care of the results. I don't have to worry about that.
0: I'm sure all nonprofits can relate to that. I'm curious in hindsight, if there was something a common thread between the programs that were very successful, did have a very high turnout, and the ones that didn't? Was there something you were able to identify?
1: I could usually predict the day of the event, if it's going to be a a big program or not. I sometimes get it wrong, but I could usually predict it. And the reason is because the successful programs have one thing in common. And this is something that took us a couple years to learn, but since we have, we've really harnessed it. And that is, I don't organize the program. So I keep coming back to last night's program, West Hempstead. So for example, there, the family of this particular person and the friends of the family of this particular person, they formed a committee and that's what we recommend. Form a committee and it's going to be your job to get people to come out. We will come and we will speak. We will educate. We'll do the testing. We'll do all of that. It's your job to get people to come out. And the strength of the committee is directly correlated to the, the success of the program. If it's a strong committee that's really doing their effort, and when I say effort, um, and this is something that is very important to, to learn forever or to in part I would say, and this is, gets back to what we were saying before about the marketing. I tell people all the time, do not rely on just simply posting the flyer on Facebook or even on WhatsApp. Although WhatsApp definitely is more successful, but don't rely just on that because nothing replaces that personal phone call, that personal text message, or that personal WhatsApp message to people saying, hey, I need you to come out to this event. It'll mean a lot to me to have you there at this event. That's what gets people out. We are bombarded today with so many different things that are competing for our time and our attention. We're not just coming out because we saw a flyer on Facebook as wonderful as our graphic designer is, and she is amazing. That's not what's getting people to come out, just simply seeing that flyer. There's gotta be that personal approach and that personal appeal. You need the flyers, you need the, the media and the marketing because the, the word has gotta get out there, you need some buzz, but it will not replace the personal connection and asking people to simply come out to the program. So I can usually tell, based on the strength of the committee, because I work together with the committee in the weeks leading up to the event, and you can see which committees are doing a better job and which committees are, are not. And sometimes you try and steer them all in the right direction. But at the end of the day, the strength of the committee is is what they are.
0: Tell me if you agree about the marketing piece that the, those flyers and the media kind of led to legitimacy to it. You need also just got that personal request. It's like, I don't know, is this for real? Like, what are they asking of me? But when you get both, it's like, okay, it's a legitimate, serious event, and they have a personal reason to be there.
1: Yeah, it's it's also true. I, I think for me, the the marketing is more about creating the buzz. And so if my friend asked me to come out, and I saw it in the local paper, I saw it on, on a few people's Facebook feeds or on their WhatsApp group statuses. So now I feel like, oh, this is like a big thing. I want to be part of this. And so the combination of everything, I think, is what gets people to come out.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that. So I was curious if you were going to say one thing that's come up a lot in my conversations with different nonprofits as a challenge when it comes to outreach, marketing, etc., is that our community seems to have this obsession with privacy, and especially when a family is going through something, a medical condition that they don't want people to know. So I was curious if you've encountered that as an issue when trying to do this.
1: Very much. We... uh, have a rule at renewal and a policy at renewal that we respect the patient's wishes. And so these patients who come into us, and by the way, all of our services are free of charge, both the donor and the recipient. And when the recipient comes into, or the potential recipient comes into us um, and we explain to them this, some of them say, listen, I'm very hesitant to go forward, to go public. And we tell them point blank we understand the hesitancy and we will respect your privacy if that's what you decide. But we do want you to understand that you stand a much better chance if you're public. The more public you are, the better the chance that of finding that kidney donor. So for example, if that flyer can include a picture, and I I want I, I tell people that I don't want a picture, I don't want a post picture, I don't want wedding pictures. I want pictures of the patient with their family because the donor is looking at this and they're saying, hey. You mean if I donate my kidney to this person, I'm not just saving them. I'm saving a whole family. I'm giving them their father, their grandfather, their child, their whatever. I'm giving them that person back. And it's a much, much more powerful thing. Perfect. That can only be told over in a, in the best way with a picture. Can it be told over with just text? It can, but it's not great. So we'll do whatever their comfort level is. And so some will go all in and they'll use their picture and everything. And others will, uh, will be more cautious and they'll just use a name and others won't even use anything. And so sometimes we'll just say a member of the community. It's not as good. It's not as effective, but we'll work with whatever we can. But I definitely agree the more they're willing to be out there, the better it is. With that said, I understand there are problems and, and, uh, and there are reasons why they don't want to be public. But what we have seen is that it definitely helps in a significant way.
0: Yeah, I, I also, when, when you know, people express the wish to have privacy, I completely understand it. But the ripple effect of not getting hub- hung up on that piece is super powerful. Because I think when one person sees, it's okay, we can come out and our medical issues and our mental health, whatever it is that we're coming out with, and everyone still lives to tell the story and still gets married and still has, you know, it, 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 it's huge what it can do for the community. It's something I've talked about on past episodes, and it's a, a big soapbox topic of mine. Um, it's interesting because I've, I've seen renewals marketing and I've seen people on video and, you know, in advertisements, and it's very refreshing to me to see that. Like, it, it, I think it speaks a lot to the sensitivity of the people behind the scenes as well.
1: Thank you. I, I would say most people do go public.
0: Well, especially if you're telling them it makes a big difference, I would imagine. It would be a big incentive, especially given the severity of the situation. When someone is up to needing a transplant, it's, you know, it's time to take it seriously, I would imagine. Definitely. So what about, let's switch on challenges for a moment. Any like really uh, memorable, favorite stories or successes that you would want to share?
1: It's just, it's so beautiful when I come into a community and you see that community rally around. And so again, last night was phenomenal. Last week I did a different program somewhere else, which had a hundred people that came out. And when you see how uh, the community rallies around people, this is something that is uh, is not, found outside the communities that we're in, in the, to a large degree. It's really, it's a very big problem, and something that we've tried to tackle and have not been all that successful in tackling. But in our community, we're we're dealing in the Orthodox Jewish community primarily. That's where our donors are coming from, not our recipients. Our recipients are coming from all walks of, of life. But uh, our donors are coming almost exclusively, not 100%, but mostly from the Orthodox community. And in the Orthodox Jewish community, the, the sense of community is so powerful, and it's so beautiful to me to be able to come out and see, wow, these people, they don't know the person necessarily. They know a child of the person, they know a friend of a friend of a, and but they're part of one community. And therefore, they're coming out, and they're gonna get tested, and they're gonna end up donating their kidney, potentially, to somebody that they don't really know, but they know they're part of a community that just unfortunately does not exist to a large degree outside of of these circles. And it's a big, big challenge. We do go all over the place and try and and raise awareness in in other settings, but it's a huge challenge we have to get anywhere close to the kind of numbers that we're getting in these communities.
0: And by the way, just in case anyone's listening and they don't necessarily believe all of what we're saying, I can verify that it works because I briefly met Rabbi Sturm at an event in my neighborhood, Northwood, Northward Someone we knew was actually, there was a drive for someone that, someone that I know's father. And I went out there. It's not something I would have ever expected to do, to go out and get swapped. And I was impressed by how easy it was and how professional it was. And that what you're describing, that era of like a sense of community and people coming out in the evenings of their home. I believe it was winter. Like a, it's, it's, it's something very special. I think it's probably not easily replicable.
1: And that particular drive, by the way, it led to a kidney, not just for that individual, but for two other individuals as well. So for one drive to lead to three transplants, three saving three lives, it's an amazing thing. And it's really very special. It
0: was actually very meaningful to me because I came home with the squishy ball. <laughs> the the ball, squishy kidneys. And I, le- I left it out and my kids were asking about it. And for me, that was a great teaching moment because I was explaining to them, you know, what Daddy and I did last night, and what they're doing, and they're young, but I think you made an impression. So I think, and that's did.
1: actually something that we get asked from time to time to come speak in elementary schools and high schools. Now, obviously, I'm not getting kidneys from uh, from elementary <laughs> or high school students. Um, uh, you know, we we don't want the, those kidneys. They they need to grow and they need to uh, to mature. <laughs> mature, and then they'll make their own life decision uh, if and when the time comes. But I always try and make it work to be able to go out and speak in those schools because I think it's so important for our kids to understand that there are people that are doing this. It's so incredible. And one of the most amazing things that I've experienced working at Renewal is that when I go to a transplant, the you could imagine that the recipient's family is overwhelmed with gratitude and appreciation for what's being done, of course. But if you can imagine such a thing, it's actually the donor's family that walks away even more inspired, especially the kids. These kids walk away saying, my mommy is a hero. My daddy, what he did, he saved somebody's life. They are so inspired and it has such a deep impact on these children and how they develop. It's such a beautiful thing.
0: Absolutely, and I would say probably a good 90 percent of the people I've interviewed when I asked them how they got into the nonprofit space, there was something tied back to their childhood, did their parents were involved in the community, or something that really raised this next generation of communal leaders. So I think we can't underestimate the importance. So this is a, a question we didn't discuss earlier that I actually thought of while you were speaking at some point, I'd be very curious to know if and what the synergy looks like between renewals outreach department and the fundraising department. Because I think that's a big one for a lot of organizations.
1: It is a big one. And uh, we're very fortunate here that, that there is a tremendous amount of synergy, that we really do work together. First of all, we're friendly with each other. Um, so that, I think, uh, helps There's a camaraderie, for sure. But more than that, we, uh, we have common goals. Even though we're, we're focused on different things, we very much see things the same way. And so a lot of the programs that we do are a joint fundraising and awareness program. So when I'm going for a specific patient, that's not the case. So then it, then it's really strictly awareness and education and we leave fundraising out of it. I don't like to do fundraising at those kind of events when there's a person attached. Because first of all, we won't take a, a donation that's made on behalf of any patient on our list. So that, uh, that's- Is that a legal thing? Legally, we are allowed to accept donations that are made to the organization, but as an organizational decision, we don't feel proper to accept a financial donation that's being made on behalf of a particular patient. It just doesn't, uh, we don't want it to cloud our judgment. A person doesn't deserve a kidney more or less based on what their net worth is. And therefore, so as not to be, not to cloud our judgment in the process I've seen our fundraisers, I kid you not, I've seen them turn down $50,000 checks multiple times, and we will not accept a penny from a patient or their family prior to transplant. After transplant, if they want, they're more than welcome to, but there's no obligation to do so. But we do a lot of events where we kind of work together, and we do it as a big fundraising slash awareness event. Those events are super powerful on multiple levels. First of all, with the fundraising aspect of it, it allows me to kind of spend more money on it because I'm hesitant to, for just an awareness event, I'm hesitant to spend very big money. But when there's a fundraising piece to it, so fundraisers will spend in order to make money, that's just the the nature of the beast, and so we can do more of a lavish kind of an event. And those events tend to bring out a lot, a lot of people. And that leads directly to a lot of people getting tested and a lot of potential uh, kidney donors. So the the synergy between the fundraising department and our outreach department is such that we really, we we work hand in hand on a lot of the, the programs that we do. It's a beautiful relationship.
0: That's interesting to me because I've always been hesitant to recommend mixing the awareness and the fundraising. There's a concern of like, kind of like, they don't hear you. Over the request for the check, like, do you have you found? It to yeah, be more I mean, you
1: powerful? have to be able. To- you have to be able to stand your ground. Both sides have to be able to stand your, their ground, meaning the fundraisers have to be able to say, listen, what you what you have in mind is not gonna bring in the money, we've gotta alter it. And I've gotta stand my ground and say, listen, my, my objective at the end of the day is to get more, to find more potential kidney donors, and we've gotta make sure that we align. But when we both, and, and this is where having that good relationship with each other really helps, when we both know that we're on the same team, we're working towards similar goals, albeit slightly differently, we're able to find that common ground. And there have been events where we say sometimes, you know what, it's just not going to work. You've got to do a fundraising event. I'm just going to do it as an awareness event. We can't mix the two. But 90% of the time, we're able to bridge the two and make it work. But you do have to to be strong in your convictions. I know what I what I need for the awareness component of it, and I can't compromise on that.
0: Are there ever times when you decide one, like there's a decision that's made that has to prioritize one department, like one department has to kind of give in to the other because there is just no way to coexist?
1: It's a good question. Um, It definitely happens sometimes that we have to compromise, but not to fully give in. Uh, We've always been able to, sometimes I don't get everything that I want in in doing it as an awareness piece. Um, I'll tell you where this comes up most often is sometimes in the verbiage that's used on a flyer. And there, there's always a little bit of a tense battle of how strong the the words that are used should be geared towards fundraising. I don't want to geared as much towards fundraising because then i'm uh, I'm afraid that I'm going to lose out on potential people who are coming that aren't going to be making a check aren't going to be writing a check, and they're going to be hesitant to even come out when they think it's very heavy focused on fundraising. So that's sometimes where the uh, the disagreements come up and just which verbiage to use. And sometimes you have to compromise and you find the word that uh, is somewhat neutral. And so neither of us gets exactly what we want, but we end up w- satisfied with the end result.
0: Meaning verbiage that's, let's say, let's say, strong enough to really be compelling to a donor might be too strong to scare away a potential, I mean, sorry. So a financial I'm, donor. A financial donor. Exactly. exactly. Scare away a kidney donor.
1: Exactly. So for ah, example, we use the word, we, we've come to use the word support renewal. On the ah. fire. I feel like support is a softer word that doesn't say, hey, give us your money. That way it doesn't scare off some of the potential kidney donors. Support, okay, it's a nice idea to support. So that's one of the examples that we've kind of over <laughs> trial and error, but we've kind of figured out that, you know what, that's a word we're both comfortable with the fundraising department and the outreach department. We can settle on on such verbiage.
0: That's really interesting. I get a lot of calls from nonprofits and they try to explain to me how they have it harder than others because they have like this specific challenge. You know, with marketing or whatever, they can't use these words or they can use these pictures. So they have it so much harder than them. and I try to explain to them every organization has their thing. That's their their stumbling block that they can overcome, obviously, but there is always something. So that's really interesting that 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 like kind of double-sided sword and even the donor donor. Like, I would never have thought
1: of that. That's true. And also, if we think about it, going back to the idea of the for-profit, if we think about it, sometimes in organizations, there's like there's tension between the fundraising department and the other departments. But if you step back and think about it, the fundraising department is fueling our other departments. We can't operate without that fundraising department. Oh, for sure. So when you gain that perspective, you start to realize, hey, they're not the enemy. We've, we need to work together because I need them to be successful at what I do. And we want to be able to find that common ground. We want to be able to work together, but it has a lot to do with the personalities. I'm very fortunate here that we do get along uh, here, It's it, which is unique in a few different regards. One is that we are a very diverse organization. It's uh, mostly a Hasidish organization. I'm not in the Hasidish world. We have yeshivish, we have modern orthodox, we have Sephardi. We've got all different walks of life. And somehow, even though, whether ideologically we're not necessarily aligned, but somehow we find that common ground and we're one big family. Doesn't mean we don't fight, families fight, <laughs> sure. but, but we, we care about each other and we all want what's best for the organization.
0: That's incredible. I think the different backgrounds bring so many different like sets of relationships and connections and footholds in different worlds, which is all coming together is very, very powerful. I think when organizations are based in one community, they find it very hard to kind of bridge the gap. So it's it's huge. And
1: huge. and, and, And going back to something else I said, knowing what I don't know is also very important. And so being able to say, listen, I don't know the Hasidic world or I don't know the Syrian world. I need your help. I need you to guide me. It's a very important thing to be able to uh, to do. And sometimes people are too proud to admit that, you know, maybe I, I don't know so much about that particular community, but that gets in the way of progress. Um, Absolutely. And so being able to go to the people that can help you and get their advice is very powerful.
0: Sure. So it sounds like your organization really has thought through a lot how to handle outreach, how to, you know, build up that synergy with outreach and fundraising. Is there anything, I, I'm just curious if there's anything you particularly brought the role in terms of innovation or new programs or anything that you've implemented that you're particularly proud of
1: so when i came on on board it was a very much a hasidish organization and they brought me on because they wanted to reach out beyond the hasidish worlds and they really didn't have the know-how of getting into some of the more monorthodox communities or even into the yeshivish communities and what sells in those communities so i'll give you an example when I first came on board, so they had tried to do something in a, I don't, we'll mention the particular community, but they had tried to do something in a Monortex shul. They were in that community over Shabbos, very, very well received. And they said, hey, tomorrow, Sunday, we're gonna be here all day long, come and get tested. And these were this was the before we were doing uh, cheek swabs. This was a little bit more invasive, it was a, a blood test. Um, so we did get less people that would come out in general, but still. So it, I came, I was, on, I, I was on staff maybe two weeks at that point. So I was just learning the ropes. So I came, I was not involved in that program at all. And uh, I came out that Sunday, I spent a good five hours there. And just to, uh, for the sake of suspense, uh, if you want to guess how many people came out for that program, well, it was zero. Oh, not a single wow. person came out to get tested. And I stepped back, and and it didn't hit me right in the moment, but I said, wait a second. You guys, we got to think about this. You don't know the modern orthodox community. You know the Hasidic community. In the Hasidish community, they think with their heart. And so if they hear somebody needs a kidney, and they're going to die if they don't get one, so they think with their heart, they're, I'm in. Let me do it. I said, the modern orthodox community is, is much more of a uh, cerebral kind of community in the sense that we've gotta process this. You came in less than 24 hours ago and told them what kidney donation is. They never heard of it before that point. And now you're coming back the next day and saying, hey, get tested. It's not gonna happen. Give it six months. Let the idea marinate. let it let it settle. And now we can wow. go back. and now we can we can come in. And that's really been the model that we've done in a community by community is recognizing not and not even to paint with a broad brush, even in specific communities within the modern community the modern Orthodox world, to go into a particular community and say, "Here's what kidney donation is. Now we're going to come back a few months later. And slowly but surely, when I first started at renewal, we had, In the Five Towns area, we had about, I think we had four kidney donors that had donated before I got here. At this point, we're up to 45. Wow! Um, in about eight years. And that's not because I've done anything crazy. It's because the idea snowballed. It's that we got in through the right channels, knowing what the community is absorbed in, knowing which things they read, which things they follow, and how to get through to them. And honestly, it's been one donor just leads to another donor and promoting each donor to get to the, uh, to the next step. And I'm
0: sure it also really goes back to that piece of trial and error. You have to, when you expand, you have to take risks. You have to. Learn I have failed time. many yes.
1: times, uh, but I mean, you learn something every time you fail. You really do. Yeah. If, you t- if you step back and think about, well, why did we fail? Why didn't that program turn out the way we did? We wanted it to. You learn a lot and you're, you improve the product each time.
0: For sure. And if you never try, then you never get to that success. So it's important. What advice would you give someone who works in outreach or in a nonprofit that maybe isn't large enough to have an outreach department, but has that role? Um, Based on the, I think, somewhat unique approach that you have, do you have anything like something tangible and practical practical that you can share?
1: Yeah. And by the way, we don't have an outreach department. I was just saying that in general terms. Um, oh, I do, I do outreach. Uh, but yeah, you're looking at it. So, I, I, so I
0: probably typical of most jurisdictions. And that
1: is very much. And my advice is just go and do it. Don't overthink it. Don't wait till you have the perfect set of circumstances to go in. Just take what you can get right now and go for it. Go grassroots, get into each community, whatever you're targeting, go there, be on the ground, meet with people, and start building those relationships and build those, those building blocks to build something beautiful. But you got to take those first steps. Their first steps are going to be small steps. Don't get frustrated. Hopefully you have uh, uh, bosses and heads of the organization that, are, that understand that. And that's really very important for any nonprofit CEO or director to understand that that these things do take time to give you that latitude and to see that you're making the incremental steps. But just go in and do it. Don't overthink it.
0: I love that. But can I just add my own personal pet? Please. Just go and do it. Don't overthink it. But also don't rush. <laughs> like so many times the organization finally made a decision. And because they made the decision, they want it done yesterday. I it's think a very like, go good point. Go yes, for it, but ask the right questions. Listen. Take the time to get your ducks in a row. Like there, there's a healthy balance between go for it and rush into it. That I think is is a struggle for many.
1: When we have particular communities on our radar that we're trying to get into and and break into, the ones that we rush almost always are not as successful as the ones that we plan properly. Sometimes there's circumstances that we need to just jump into a particular community. For example, sometimes we have a, a very popular kidney donor in a community and we just wanna capitalize. that person just donated, we wanna capitalize on that, but we haven't done the groundwork in that community. We haven't built up the name in that community. And we'll rush in because it's just circumstances we've gotta rush in most of the time, it's not as successful as if we would wait and really plan it out. So I very much agree with what you're saying. Think it through. Don't overthink it, but make sure you've exactly. got it. You've got it analyzed. Make sure you know where you're going and you've got a good direction.
0: Exactly. Yes. I couldn't have said it better myself. So thank you so much, Rabbi Sturm. This has been amazing. If somebody wants to reach out to you to learn more about what you do at Renewal or in general, Outreach in general, how can they contact you?
1: Sure. I'd be more than happy. Anybody who has any questions, more than happy to, uh, to speak. My email is jsturm, that's the letter J-S-T-U-R-M, at renewal.org, renewa lorg O R G. Send me an email and uh, I'd love to set something up.
0: Amazing. Thank you. So before we sign off, I'd like to end off with something really that people could take away. If you can give me one sentence of what you would really want anyone who listens to take away from this, what would that be?
1: I think if you spend your time in the nonprofit world, you get so much satisfaction for the good that you're doing. Be proud of that. It's important, especially if you have a family, let your family know. They should be proud of you, too. You, especially when you're working in the nonprofit world, you're not making as much as the people in the for-profit world. You're putting in very often more hours than the people in the for-profit world, and sometimes at the expense of your family. Make sure they know the good that you're accomplishing, and that they have a a significant share in being able to accomplish all of those things. I think if you do that, you'll be happier, they'll be happier, of course, you'll be happier, and you'll be a lot more successful.
0: Incredible, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time, this was great. Thank
1: you so much, it's really a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Change the World Podcast. If you have any feedback or an idea for my next episode, or if you're a nonprofit leader interested in learning more about how 14 Minds can help your nonprofit, I'd love to hear from you. Just send an email to tzivia at 14minds.com. For more nonprofit content, follow me on LinkedIn or visit 14minds.com.